Welcome everyone to our weekly shiur on Zerah Shimshon. Tonight's shiur is going to be different pieces on Haggadah Shel Pesach. Um, we're going to do, I, I think we're going to do maybe a little bit of two different ma'amars of the Zerah Shimshon. First one's going to be ma'amar Aleph and the second one is going to be ma'amar Bet. First ma'amar and the second ma'amar is going to be done tonight, Bezrat Hashem. Uh, this year is dedicated Leilui Nishmat Immanuel ben Munavar, Shemuel ben Rabbi Yehuda, Rafael ben Munavar, um, Benjamin ben Yaakov, and Afshin Joshua Babazadeh. And it is dedicated for the Rufu'an Shalema of Simabat Golanda. May Hashem give a Rufu'an Shalema to Kol Chole Am Israel. And so the Zerah Shimshon, the first drush, um, is a very long drush, but I just wanted to, I found um, a piece of it that was really interesting that I wanted to share with everybody. Um, the first drush asks several questions. Where I'm just going to delve into one of the questions. This is a question that has been asked many times, different people have asked it. But I, 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 I quite like the way Zerah Shimshon answers this question and I wanted to share it with everyone. We know that when B'nai Israel were coming out of Egypt, one second, okay, let's go forward and then we'll go backwards. We know on the Pesach Seder night, we eat matzah commemorating the exodus from Egypt. And we, when we commemorate the exodus from Egypt, we say, you know, our forefathers came out of Egypt in such a haste, in such hurry, that they couldn't wait for the, for the bread, for their dough to rise, and therefore it was matzah, and because it was matzah, we eat matzah now. Right? Right. However, there is questions, there's a few questions that a person could ask. Number one, and the only one that we're going to deal with for tonight's shiuris, that, hold on a second. If you're telling me that B'nai Israel didn't have enough time because they left in such a haste, therefore, we eat matzah today because they made matzah because they couldn't wait for it to rise because of the hurry, that kind of doesn't make sense. Because... We were told when we're going to go out of Egypt. We, know when, we knew when we're leaving. So, why didn't we just plan from before? Why did we have to wait to the last minute when Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay everybody, we're leaving. It wasn't a surprise, like surprise everyone, we're leaving now. No, it was planned. We knew exactly when we we're going to leave from Egypt. And we knew we we're going to need bread. So how was it that we waited to the last minute and we always say we ate we eat matzah because we left in such haste because we couldn't let it rise. That's not really true. We could have let it rise. Um, but somehow we didn't. Why did we do this? Why did this happen? Why do we say that we eat matzah because we didn't let it rise when frankly we could have we knew exactly when we we're going to go out. We should have just planned ahead, made bread easily, and had bread for the road. This question is asked in many different aspects. The Zerah Shimshon brings it, brings other people that ask on it. He brings questions that he asks on it himself. It's a lot to deal with. I just wanted to just emphasize on one part of it, which was truly something, a, a, a nice chidush that we could even say over on the Seder night. The Zerah Shimshon brings from various sources. He brings from the Zohar as well. And he says, according to the Zohar, now I'm sure people have heard of this in different variety of ways. He says, according to the Zohar HaKadosh, <laughs> Matzah represents one thing, and Chametz represents another. According to the Zohar, Matzah represents the Tum'ah of, of Egypt, the, the, the impurities, the impurities of Eretz Mitzrayim, of Egypt. 
That's, that's chametz. And I'm sure everyone has heard before that we also compare chametz to the yetzer hara. The yetzer hara, the evil inclination is compared to chametz. Why? Chametz is something that you just have to leave. You leave the bread and it just rises. If you leave it enough, if you don't work on it, it becomes chametz. And Chachamim say, that's what the Yetzar Hara is. You want the Yetzar Hara to get you? Do nothing. That's all you need to do. Just do nothing. You want to start going down? All you got to do is nothing. Don't do any mitzvot. Be lazy. Get up late. And before you know it, that's how the Yetzar Hara gets us to do the worst things that we would have never thought we would do. Why? Because when, we're, when you're in the slump, when you do nothing, that's when the Yetzar Hara gets you. A person has to be active, proactive all the time. Do good all the time. That's what the mitzvot are, are there for us. That's why we have mitzvot for everything. Put on tefillin in the morning. Get up. The moment you wake up, you have mitzvot. Don't lose a moment. You use the restroom, you say a bracha. You want to eat, you say a bracha. You have to constantly be doing mitzvot. You're constantly active in doing mitzvot. So there's no room for chametz. You don't let the yetzar hara rise. But according to the Zohar, it's even more. All of the tum'ah, all of the impurities of Egypt are compared to chametz. Egypt was the worst kind of chametz. <coughs> We know from the fact that when Yosef HaTzadik was there, he, was, he became known as the only biblical figure to be called a tzadik. Why? Because he, he did what we would call, quote-unquote, the impossible. He remained a tzadik in the worst place ever. Like it was like, Egypt was the worst part of Tum'ah. That's why we said before also in different shiurim, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would not have brought us out of Egypt when he did, we would have gone... To the last level, the four, we were in the 49th level of Tum'ah. We would have gone to the last level and there would be no, uh, there was a point of no return. That's what it would be. That's Chametz. Matzah, Matzah represents the purity of Akadosh Baruch Hu. And in another sense, and as we said, Chametz is impurities, Matzah is purity. On a second level now, matzah represents avodah zarah, idolatry, idol worship, which was quite strong in Egypt. That's what Egypt was. They had gods for everything. I mean, they worshipped Paro. He said that he made the Nile, the Nile River. So chametz represented avodah zarah. Matzah represented HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the oneness, the unity of Hashem. That's what matzah is. Chametz is all the lies, all the, what's the word for it? All the bluff and all the puff. At the end of the day, what is chametz? What is a risen piece of bread? When a bread rises and becomes chametz, when a dough rises, is it more bread? It's not. It's the same dough. It doesn't become any more It just rises, it's fake, it's hollow. There's nothing to it. That's what chametz is. Chametz is the fakeness and the lie of Avodah Zarah. So Avodah Zarah is. It has no, even even back in Egypt when they say that, when they said that the Avodah Zarah in Egypt was powerful and they had black magic, but at the end of the day it was fake. It's nothing. At the end of the day there's there's no base to it. It comes from no place. That's chametz. That's what's represented by Egypt. Matzah, on the other hand, is the unity of Akadosh Baruch Hu. That represents emet. That represents the, the, the going... The shekhinah of Hashem is represented by matzah. That's the emet, the truth. It's nothing else. There is no fake, there is no bluff, there is no puff. It is what it is. That's Akadosh Baruch Hu. So now... Now that that's clear, hopefully. That's clear so far? No question? Why do we, um, why do we, you know, bread on Shabbat then if it's, you know, chametz and all that? Well, we, we are allowed to eat chametz during the year. Right? It's a part of, part of one of the luxuries of life. We have the ability to make a lot of things. We, we eat that bread and we make chamotzi on it. Right, we make a bracha. That's a different shiur by itself, but that's that's taking the mundane 
That's taking the negative with the positive and bringing it out into the positive world by making brachot, by making brachot amazon. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But dealing with Pesach, there is a reason why Pesach only needed matzah. It's going to be explained through the answer. So he says brilliantly, the Zerah Shimshon says like this. He says, you know why B'nai Israel had matzah they had matzah in, when be, they had to make the matzah before they left Egypt. Because if you think about it, we were commanded, you think about it, we were commanded while we were Egypt to have matzah. We, were, we already had the commandment of eating matzah on Pesach, which was the Korban Pesach. The first Korban Pesach was brought then, right? And we were already commanded to eat matzah with the Korban Pesach, no chametz. So we already had that commandment. Now, going out of Egypt, we were supposed to already eat matzah. Because it was the seven-day period of Pesach. It would have been the seven-day period from the Exodus until the Yamsuf. Which would, the Yamsuf was basically the finishing touches of the, of, of the, of the um, Exodus from Egypt from, from, for freedom. That Yamsuf at the splitting of the sea. Now, Bnei Israel could have very well waited and made the matzah when they left. Okay, so we can answer, you know what? They knew when they're going to leave. Bnei Israel knew exactly when they're going to leave. So there was no haste. They could have even waited and made the matzah after they left. They could have done it after they left. Why make it in Mitzrayim in a rush and then eat it outside? Why? So listen to this. It says, Bnei Israel knew very well what was happening. They said, you know, we are, we are leaving, we are leaving the powers of Tum'ah, the powers of Avodah Zarah, and we're going to transfer ourselves where we're going to be under the powers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Melech Malcham Lachim. The only unity there is, the only one unit, Echad. We're going to go from Avodah Zarah into the realm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? They were going from Egypt, and the Exodus would be bringing them into the realm of Akadosh Baruch Hu. So they said, you know what? If we make matzah when we're already out of Egypt, into the realm of Akadosh Baruch Hu, what, what good did we really do? Meaning, how much of, of a Let's say, what's the word I'm looking for? Challenge? Right. How much of a challenge is it really to make matzah on the outside when we're under Hashem's presence? Not a big challenge. We're already, we're going to be already surrounded by Kedusha with holiness. We're going to be surrounded by Hashem's Shekhinah. So yes, obviously over there, there's no challenge of making matzah while you're already intertwined with the Kedusha. Even though Hashem himself didn't need them to make matzah in Egypt. They could have done it outside. Bnei Israel chose to make the matzah in Egypt. They said, we want to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we accept His presence, His Shekhinah, while we are here, within the Tum'ah. Within the confines of the Avodah Zarah and all the filth of Egypt, this is where we're going to make the matzah because this is where the challenge is. We're going to show Him that not only we accept Him when, we, when He finally takes us out, and He accepts us under His presence, under His Shekhinah, not only then will we do what He wants us to do, we want to do it here. We want to accept His Shekhinah here in the Tum'ah, within the Tum'ah of Egypt. Which is truly the Koach that has held us together for thousands of years in the exile. Every... Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech, Ha'olam Shehakol Nihyabid Baro. <clears throat> Every Friday night, and some even Shabbat lunch, parents bless their children. Right? What is the blessing that we give our children? We start with the words, the boys especially, when, the, when, we, when we, not especially, I mean when we, when we bless the boys, how do we bless them? Yesimecha Elohim ke'efraim v'chimenasheh. May Hashem bless you like Ephraim and Menashe. For the ladies, we say, 
Yesimech Elokim Kesara Rivga Rachel Vela'a, like the matriarchs. But when it comes to the boys, we don't mention the patriarchs. We should say Yesimech Elokim Kavraham Yitzchak Vayaakov. We don't say that. For the girls, we say Kesara Rivga Rachel Vela'a. For the boys, we say Yesimech Elokim Kefrayim Vechim Why? Because what happened? Yaakov Avinu, when he blessed Ephraim and Menashe, Yosef's sons, he said, like this will my children forever bless their kids. What did Yaakov Avinu see in Ephraim and Menashe? And he said that forever children should be blessed to be like them. Ephraim and Menashe. What was so special about Ephraim and Menashe? Ephraim and Menashe grew up in Egypt. Not only grew up in Egypt, they were born in Egypt. At least Yosef Atzadik was born outside. He was 17 years old. He learned from his father, his grandfather. You could say he had a good source of, he had, you know, his foundation was good. But Ephraim and Menashe, they were raised in Egypt. Like many people today would have an excuse like, what do you expect? I, I was born in LA, I was born in California, I went to Beverly Hills High School with the rest of the Jewish population of Beverly Hills. Chas <laughs> May all of the Jews please bring their kids out of the public schools. Seriously. It, is, it has become one of my, it has become one of my, I, I always was, but now, especially these days, it has become even a stronger force for me, one of, my, one of my passions, to convince people not to send their kids to public schools. Do not, do not, do not. Anyway, so Ephraim and Menashe were raised, they were born in that filth. And they were kadosh, they were holy. When Yaakov Avinu saw that, he knew that Bnei Israel are going to go into exile. And he said, this is what my children need. May you be able to withstand the tum'ah of the exile of the outside influences like Ephraim and Menashe. That's greatness. B'nai Israel on the way out of Egypt, they said, we don't, want it. we don't want the easy way. We don't want to do the mitzvah in an easy way. It'll be easy for us. When we're out, we're under the Shekhinah, we're accepting the Shekhinah, we make matzah which represents the Shekhinah. They said, we're going to make matzah that represents the Shekhinah now in Egypt, in the Tum'ah. Because we're telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we accept you now, even though you didn't tell us to do it now. We do it now. So what did they do? As soon as they had that mitzvah, that's why they had to do it quickly. Because they decided at a haste, oh, we're going out. You know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to make the matzah on the outside. We're going to make it now, and then we leave. And then we'll bake it there. As matzot. This is such a fundamental lesson. We live in a physical world, whether you like it or not. Many people tell me, well Rabbi, you know, we, we put our kids into public schools or whatever. People have dumb excuses for that, I'm sorry to say. And whoever's watching, any excuse that a person might have of using public school system to raise their kids as Jewish is a dumb excuse. Okay, I understand some people say it's the tuition, this and that. You know, all Jewish schools have scholarships. All Jewish schools have scholarships. They will work. If someone really cannot afford it, I've rarely found a school that doesn't work with them. Rarely. Rarely. I'm not saying there's no cases. Rarely. But the excuse I, I hear sometimes is, Rabbi, but kids have to be in the real world. I want them to see the real world. That's not, you know... If they go into the bubble of the Jewish school system, they don't experience the real world. The real world. The real world. <laughs> don't get me started, guys, because that's one of those nights for me. You remember the weddings in the airplanes? That kind of night for me. I listened one time to Rabbi Zamer Cohen. You guys know Rabbi Zamer Cohen? He's one of the brilliant, 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 brilliant minds of today. Rav Zamar Cohen is beyond brilliant. Okay, he's the author of the, the book called The Coming Revolution, which is a scientific book that brings the Torah into light. He has many other books that haven't been translated into English, unfortunately. I was listening to a shiur of his. He does a lot of outreach 
I mean, you look at his shiurim. I have yet to find any class that he holds, no matter how large the, the auditorium is, I've yet to find any seats empty. You, you don't find a seat empty. And almost 50 to 60% of these people sitting there have, they don't have velvet kippahs. Let's put it that way. Okay? And they have like kippahs that ha- still you can see the fold on it. Okay? <laughs> Bar mitzvah kippahs and like, you know, things like that. And one time he addressed this. I have, I've never found anyone to be more calculated than this person. He is calculated. And he said, someone told him, he said, you know, you Haredim, you religious people, you don't let your kids watch TV, you don't let them play games, and da So you're taking them away from the real world. You're, 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 you're putting them in this bubble, you're, 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 you're excommunicating them from the real world. We, we try, they need to be able to deal with the real world, so we give them the real world. TV lets them see the real world, so they see what's going on. So he says... <laughs> He even said, I'd never heard him speak like this. He said, I actually got upset. In a very calm voice, he's like, I actually got very upset. He never gets upset. He's a Kohen. He's very like, he gets upset, it's bad. He actually got upset because like me, you know, you, you hear sometimes, me all the time, you hear something that makes no sense. You just don't, you just want to blow a fuse, right? So he says, I asked her, I said, let me ask you something. In, in the real world, in the real world. How many murders do you see in the real world in your neighborhood? So she goes, none. Baruch Hashem, what? Such things don't happen. Goes, how many affairs do you see in the real world in your neighborhood? No, Baruch Hashem. She, she didn't understand where he was going with it. You know, thank God, no such things happen. What, just because we're not, we're, not, we're not religious doesn't mean... We're... So he keeps going on with all of these things. And he says, so let me ask you, how many times do you see people get shot on a TV show or in a, mo- in a movie? How many times do you, do you see pictures of affairs of people being, doing the, the, the most filthiest things in a movie? How many times do you see that? A lot. Is that the real world you're exposing your children to? That's the real world? So the fact that I don't have my kids watching TV, I'm, I'm putting my kids in a bubble from that real world? That's the, which, where is that the real world? How is that the real world? How much does, of that stuff does really happen? But I'll tell you what it is. The fact that kids watch those things makes that the real world for them. And if they become the criminals of tomorrow, and if they become the non-responsible fathers and husbands of tomorrow, it's because of that fake world that you're showing them. It's not a real world. It's all fake. They make it real. The real world is on our side. The real world is teaching children the responsibility of being a parent, a mother, a father, responsibility of working. These are the things of the real world that they learn. And I understand some people might say, but still Rabbi, some things are, you know, not taught to the kids as much as the children. Some things are, they are kind of, you know, um, um, pampered or they are kind of like not told everything. So my answer has always been, listen, if they live in this world, they see all those things. Kids are not stupid. If they're in this world, they know exactly what's going on. The fact that you put a child into Jewish school doesn't make it that they don't know what's going on on the outside. They know very, very well what's going on on the outside. But they have enough of a sense, they have enough of a good upbringing to know not to go that direction at least. At least there is help. At least they have some kind of help on the other side to help them out. In this rotten world that we live in, let's call it that, with crazy ideologies being fed on a daily basis to young people, on a daily basis, about everything. We need all the zikhut we can get. And we need all the education we can possibly handle. All of it. So we all live in this world. Therefore, living in this world, what we have to do is what B'nai Israel did. We have to bring the matzah into our world. With the filth, with all the tum'ah. Have the matzah here. And what's the matzah? It's all the Torah and mitzvot that we have. All the Torah and mitzvot we have, the more we have, the better. 
Because that's telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though I am living in these 49 Sha'are Tum'ah, 49 levels of Tamal living in California, living in Vegas, living in New York, wherever it is we're living, we're living among the Tum'ah of the world. The impurities that are around us. The only thing that keeps us away from all of it is the zuchut of the mitzvot, and that's the matzah. Once a year on Pesach, we replenish our neshama to be able to always have matzah during the, during the year, metaphorically. What we're doing on Pesach is by not having any chametz, we're energizing our body so that throughout the year, we'll be able to have the matzah, quote-unquote, within the tum'ah of the world. To bring the Kedushah. And those are all the mitzvot that we do throughout the year. That's what guards us from everything on the outside. <coughs> Just shortly, the, the second rush, Ma'amar Bet of the Zerah Shimshon. He questions, he says, that the Pesach offering that we had in Egypt, and when we came out of Egypt. As soon as we came out of Egypt, we had the mitzvah of doing the Pesach offering. What was the Pesach offering? That was the Passover offering. It was an offering that was brought by each family, by each person that had to bring it into the Beit HaMikdash. It had to be eaten in Yerushalayim, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Today, unfortunately, we do no longer have the Pesach offering because we don't have the Beit HaMikdash. Right? So he says the Torah calls the Pesach, the Passover offering, a chukah. These are the laws of the Pesach. Now there's two different laws that we have in the Torah. We have Mishpatim and we have Chukim. Chukim are the laws that don't have a reason in the Torah. Right? That's a chok. It's a reasonless in the Torah. We don't, have, we don't know the reason of it basically. Mishpatim are Torah laws that there is a reason that we can understand. But even those, they're not the real reasons for it. But at least they have a reason that we can understand why Hashem wanted us to do them. The Pesach is called a chok. So he says, he brings from the Mata Aharon, says the Mata Aharon asks, why is the Korban Pesach called a chok? Why is it called a reasonless like, uh, 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 mitzvah that we have? Why is it called a chok? So the Mata Aharon answers, because... It says that the Pesach offering shall not be eaten in two different places. The Pesach offering had many rules, right? You couldn't start your meal here and then go have another meal at your uncle's house and Khaled's house and stuff. There's no house hopping of the Korban Pesach. You couldn't do that. So it says because there is no house hopping for the Korban Pesach and you can't go from home to home, therefore, it is called the Chok. Why should it be called chok because of that? It says because Share Pesach, Pasach Hashem alabait. Because the reason we have the Pesach, Pesach is called Passover, right? We have the Pesach offering because Hashem skipped over the homes, right? He went from home to home and he skipped over the homes of the Bene Israel. So we would have thought to say, you know, the mitzvah of Pesach should be eating in different homes, just like Hashem went from home to home. But it's not. In fact, you stay home. You cannot eat the Pesach offering at different homes. Therefore, it's a chok. We don't know why. It should be the other way around, but it's not. So therefore, it's a chok. So he answers. He says, but that, that can't be the reason. He says, because if you're doing it as a remembrance of Passover, of God passing over the homes, if you're saying that Pesach is a remembrance of that, in fact, God didn't, God didn't go from home to home. No, God just skipped over all the Jewish homes and He went and smit there the Egyptian firstborns. And then in the same Torah, it says, the Jews were commanded not to come out of their homes. The Jews were not allowed to come out of their homes. The Torah says, you have to put the blood of the Korban Pesach on your doorposts and stay inside. Each family has to stay in their own homes. So the Zerash Mishon says, in fact, no, it works out perfectly. You should be eating your Pesach in one place because the Jews also ate it in one place. So the fact that it's a chuk has nothing to do with going from home to home. That can't be the reason.
Benyeder Lomar, she says, we could answer, Kechol chukat ha-pesach ya'asu oto, hold on one second. She says, the chukat, the laws of the mitzvot, of the Korban Pesach, are the laws that are intrinsic to it, the Korban Pesach itself, which are what? Al tochenu mimenu la, na, uvashel mevushal, ki imtseli esh. The Pesach offering had a rule. You know, at the Pesach table, Passover table, the seder table, we all have a piece of meat, or some people use a piece of chicken, it could be anything. Just as long as it's some kind of meat, and they kind of barbecue it a little bit. Right? That's one of the signs that we put at the seder table. Bone, meat, do whatever you want, bro. No one's going to say why. Okay? <laughs> You're not going to eat it. It's okay if it's a bone, if it's a, if it, if it's a chicken leg, Chicken wing. Some people do chicken wing. As long as it's a piece of thing that has bone in it. Yeah. <laughs> so it says that that... So, so that piece is as a remembrance. By the way, you should be careful. Halachically, you shouldn't call it a Pesach. Right? You shouldn't say, oh, this is a Pesach bone or this is the Pesach meat. If you say it, then you can't throw it out. You can't eat it. You can't... It, you have to just say, this is in remembrance. You know? That's it. So that... The laws of the Korban Pesach was that it had to be eaten only as barbecue and it had to be fully cooked and it couldn't be rare. So all you, all you people that tell me, why do you ask for your steak well done? I go according to the Torah. Okay? That the Torah says normal people eat their meat fully cooked. Others eat it medium rare or rare or whatever it is. Okay? Every time I go out to a restaurant, I sit with someone and they go, Oh, you don't even know how to eat steak. It's so low. Did you just ask for your meat to be well done? Oh, no, 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 sir. All of a sudden, the greatest phobe becomes the classiest European, you know, like, you don't understand. You must say medium rare. Like, dude, you just came from Iran. <laughs> what are you like? What are you all of a sudden telling me about rare? I told you it's one of those nights. You messed with me, okay? So the Torah says your meat has to be cooked. The Pesach meat had to be fully cooked. You couldn't eat it rare, half rare. Had to be barbecued. Another thing now. Some people might take offense to this. Eh, what can I tell you? You couldn't make abgusht with it either. You, can't, you couldn't make it a choresht or oshpolo. You couldn't do it. It had to be a barbecue. And the reason some chachamim give is a reason that I took offense to for many years, but it was shut down by the Zerashim Shon. So, <laughs> watch this. So he says... It had to be barbecued, it couldn't be in a, in a, it couldn't be in a stew, you couldn't cook it, it had to be barbecued, and it couldn't be rare, it had to be fully barbecued. Says, so he says, natan ta'am. The Sefer HaChinuch gives a reason why it, it had to be this way. Why? Why is it, Why is it that the Pesach had to be eaten as barbecued? Why? Because barbecued meat is the food of kings. Barbecued meat is the food of kings. Which, first time I heard this was, you know, people put meat into stew and stuff is because they don't have enough meat. So they cut it into little pieces, they put it in a stew, and, it, and the stew makes the meat kind of blow up, puff up a little bit, and you have other stuff in the stew, so that you're not eating all meat, you'll fill yourself up with other stuff in that stew. Right? So I took that as an offense. I love gourmet sabzi. And I was thinking like, are you saying that we eat like gourmet sabzi because we don't want to feed people enough meat? Like, we don't want to get... What? What? And kings eat barbecue. Why? Because when you barbecue meat... It shrivels up. It becomes more. Those of you that have ever barbecued meat, steak, well done like it's supposed to, <laughs> you'll see that a piece of steak that was like that big, 
all of a sudden shrinks into like a smaller piece. That's what happens. Therefore the Chinuch says, that's how kings eat, because they can afford it. Barbecue it, it becomes smaller, who cares? I'll have a bigger piece. Right? So that's why Hashem says, enjoy. Feel free to barbecue it. I want you to barbecue it. Why? Because now you're kings. You're free people. The Pesach represents your freedom. So don't make it a stew anymore. You don't need to make it a stew. Make it a barbecue. And to add, this, the Zerah Shemshon doesn't say this, to add on to this also, to this reason of the Chinuch, right? it says that leftovers could not be eaten. You couldn't have leftovers for the Pesach. You couldn't have the leftovers. If you had leftovers, don't eat it. Why? Kings don't eat leftovers. You eat what you can, the rest, throw it out. You're a king. Don't try this at home. <laughs> With the prices of meat right now, Only, that's why it's only for the Pesach offering. So now, so he says, because we became free people, we, we came into freedom. So therefore, we eat barbecue like the kings and 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 and, and noble noblemen do. He says, but according to this, re- it's still hard. According to this reason. It's hard. He says, all of the korbanot that we have in the Beit HaMikdash says the same thing and has the same rule. It says the same thing by them. It says, every korban should be eaten like melachim. That means the kohanim in the Beit HaMikdash should eat all of the meat of all the korbanot like kings do. How do kings eat? According to Sefer HaKinuch, barbecue. However, he says, in fact, by the Kohanim, it says they don't have to eat the korbanot barbecued. They can eat it any way they want. And the reason given there is because kings can do whatever they want. They could eat it at a barbecue, they could eat it in a gormasabzi. Kings can do what they want. So, this was a question one of my rabbanim said to me once years ago. Beautifully, I think it was Rabbi David Kaplan. He said, if I'm a king, don't tell me to barbecue. Just tell me, eat it however you want. Right? What kind of kingship is this? You're telling me, you're a king tonight, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to eat 30 grams of matzah, the first portion. 30 grams again, and this one, this one you're going to have with some haroset, not a lot. The next one, you might have a lot of haroset on it. Then the next piece, just eat, not, don't eat too much. Don't eat that. It's like, what kind of king has orders all the time, right? That's a, that's a, that's a lecture on its own. But here's is the kohanim, used to be able to eat the meat anyway, even though it says that the Kohanim should eat like kings. So, so it doesn't mean kingship has nothing to do with eating barbecue. Because if you're really a king, you could eat the meat any way you want. Barbecue, not barbecue, right? So they could change whichever they want. They could eat them overcooked, roasted, or cooked, whichever they want. So why here only barbecued? The odd says, furthermore, another reason, the fact that we barbecue is a sign as a remembrance of the haste that we had, the hurry of leaving Egypt. So he says, if it's really the haste, then, so they didn't really have time for them to cook it in a stew. They were, they were in a hurry, so they just barbecued on a fire. So he says, even at this reason, this reason of the chinuch is problematic. The chinuch is saying, you know why we barbecue? One is because of kingship. That doesn't work. Kings can eat whatever they want. He says, the second reason the chinuch gives of why we need to barbecue the Pesach is because, because to show the haste, the hurry that the Jews were leaving, they didn't have time to make a whole ashpolo. Right? So they just uh, open a fire, uh, barbecue and make sure it's well done, let's go. Right? <laughs> so he says, if you're telling me that it's, a, that it's a remembrance to the haste, so why does the Torah say you can't eat it rare? Must be well done. If it was haste in a hurry, the Torah shouldn't command that it can't be rare or medium rare. Because if it was medium rare, that would really symbolize the haste. Imagine, you would have rare meat on Pesach, 
the Pesach offering should be medium rare to say, oh, you know why I'm having this half cooked that no one should ever have other times of the year? It's because we left Egypt in such a hurry, the meat was half cooked. Otherwise, normal people eat their meat cooked fully. Eh? I know you all eat your meat rare at the restaurant. I know. Huh. Except maybe some of the Esfahanis over here that I could see maybe. You had a question? What's the correlation between the why are you trying to juxtapose that, like it, that, that one of the reasons why it should be fully cooked is because of chipazon? Like I'm not understanding. No, no, no. It's not. It doesn't say it should be fully cooked because of the chipazon. No, no, no. The sefer achinuch gives a reason. Tries to give a reason as to why we have to barbecue. Right. The why the why the korban pesach had to be barbecued. So he says the reason it had to be barbecued is because when the Jews were leaving in such a hurry, they didn't have time to make stew. They only had time to make a fire and barbecue. So because they barbecued, we also have to barbecue the Korban Pesach. You understand? That's the Sefer HaChinuch trying to give it reason. So he says, even this, it doesn't make sense. Because Adaraba, the exact opposite is true. If you're telling me it's because of the haste, then it doesn't have to be fully cooked. I mean, it should be rare. But the Torah says, but make sure it's not rare. So that Sefer HaChinuch's answer doesn't work either. Right? So he says, therefore we learn, So he says, the first reason didn't work out. Because if you're telling me that we're supposed to be eating like kings, and kings only eat barbecue, kings don't only eat barbecue, kings eat whatever they want. Right? So you can't tell me that that's the reason why it's, it's barbecued. And the reason, the second reason is hard. Why does the Torah say, don't eat it half cooked? It must be fully cooked. He says, this is why the Korban Pesach is called a chok. Because no matter how much you try, you're not going to find a reason for it. So the Zerah Shimshon beautifully brings out the Sefer HaChinuch, and those others that try to give a reason for the Korban Pesach, and he says, none of it works. At the end of the day, you're left with nothing. The Korban Pesach truly has no reason. There's too many laws within the Korban Pesach itself that makes them a chok. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be this way. If you're telling me it's because of the haste, then it should be eaten halfway raw. If you're telling me it's because of kingship, then let me do whatever I want with it. Right? Either way you look at it, as to why we're having the Korban Pesach the way we are, it doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense. So Zerashim Shon says, therefore you need to understand, it's a chok. That's why it's a chok. And therefore, this, this to me is the most brilliant point of it all. The Torah has many chukim and mishpatim in it. Many laws that have no reason. A lot of times we try to find reasons for them. Don't try to find reasons for them. There is a reason why Hashem wanted it to be a chok. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to say, sometimes I will do what you ask because you asked. Simple. It's that simple. I'm doing it because I trust you. I've had so many occasions where scientists and philosophy, uh, philosophers and so many different people I've had conversations with, very brilliant, smart people. Right? That try to bring different reasons for different things. Oh, you know why Hashem says uh, this and that? Oh, it's because, like, uh, the prime example that I use is kashrut, kosher. Right? The laws of kashrut are chukim. They're all laws that have no reason in the Torah. The Torah doesn't tell us why. Hashem doesn't say why we shouldn't eat the milk of it, of a. Uh, we shouldn't eat a kid in its mother's milk, or why we shouldn't eat. Uh, 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 um, um, pork or why none of it it just says don't it just gives us the signs of kashrut and says here's what I want you to eat there is no reasons for it so people come up today's day and age well rabbi obviously it's because it's healthier have you heard what pork does to your body have you heard what I yeah 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 whoop-de-doo great you know it's nice that you found out 
that it's healthy and it's true. But that's not the reason why Hashem tells us to do it. The fact that it's healthy is an outcome of listening to the mitzvot. When you listen to the creator of the world that tells you, Hashem says, hey, 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 listen, listen. It's like your mom saying, you know, this has happened to me. You go into a potluck. Oh, this is so good. You go into a potluck party. Everyone from the neighborhood has brought something of their own. Your mom or your wife, if you're married, if you're not married, your mom. If you're married like me, your wife. Your wife comes and tells you, she goes like that. It happens to me all the time. She goes, <clears throat> eat that one, leave the rest alone. Right? Why? Because she probably made that one. She says, I made that one, so eat that one. The rest of them, trust me. I don't know what's in it. They probably don't know what's in it. Just stay away from it. Right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So therefore, when you eat that food that is your wife's, you know it's trusted source. I'm not going to ask any questions. Especially if your wife is an Esfahani. Woohoo! You know the food is good. Okay? So, so, so when she tells you, eat that one, that's the one you're going to eat. And the fact that afterwards, you come to your wife and go, you know what? It's a good thing I ate the one you told me to because it was really good. You're always going to be like, of course it was good. I told you I made it. What do you mean? Is that the reason I told you to eat it? No. I knew it was good. I told you the reason why I wanted you to eat it could have been something else because I knew maybe they used some other product and the other foods that I didn't want, whatever. But the reason I told you to eat that food wasn't because it's good, because I know it, it's good. I made it. Hashem is saying the fact that eating pork is healthier or not eating meat and milk together healthier, yes, of course it is, because I made the stuff. I know what goes together, what doesn't go together. For your neshamot, I know what works. So just trust me. The fact that you're going to be healthier, your neshamot are going to be healthier, is 100% true. But is that the reason I told you not to eat those foods? No. It's a chok. That's just an outcome. The health is an outcome. And believe me, the health itself, in itself is not 100% proof. You don't know all these people that eat pork. They, they, they literally have, uh, uh, um, what should we call it, in the morning, like breakfast, Bacon for breakfast, like, like breakfast for, for, for us, like growing up, breakfast for us is like milk and cereal and like maybe cheese and a cheese sandwich and stuff. Like the, in non-kosher homes, it's like bacon and eggs every morning and then with milk on top of it and then cream cheese and then and to us it's like, oh, cream cheese and it's not healthy. Oh, there's a lot of them that live to be a hundred. Right? There are people that eat all sorts of stuff and they're fine. Right? So you can't say Hashem told us to eat kosher because it's healthier. It is healthier in some ways, but there are many, many people that eat it all the time. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, you as a Jew, you have a different neshama. You have a different body system. For you, this is what works. For you, this is the food that you should eat. Why? Because I said so, I made it. Don't argue with your wife, I mean with God. Both go the same, hand in hand, kind of. If you're married, you would know you don't argue with your wife. Especially when it comes to food. Right? So the Zerah Shimshon, the Zerah Shimshon brings out a beautiful point here that teaches us that the Sefer HaChinuch you should know, everyone should, by the way, should, everyone at some point in their life should read the Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch brings reasons for all the mitzvot and it's beautiful. Gives us a glimpse into God's glory and God's chokhmah, wisdom. Right? So the Zerah Shimshon is not saying in a negative light about what the Sefer HaChinuch says. He's just saying that even with all the beautiful reasons that the Sefer HaChinuch gives for why we eat the Pesach offering in a certain way, even with those, it still doesn't do it justice. It's still not the reason. Therefore, it remains a chok. A lot of things in our lives remain unanswered. But that doesn't mean HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not just right there. Hashem is always with us, even though we have a lot of questions. There's a lot of chukim in life. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. And I'm just going to end off with this. <clears throat> There's a story from Rabbi Yechiel Sparrow. And it's actually made into a song. 
today, and every time I listen to the song, I get teary. Every time. Um, uh, he says that there was a 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 young boy, I think nine years old, or maybe even younger. No, maybe like five six years old, I think. Um, and his mother had promised him if he's really good and he behaves, I guess he was like a little bit of a hyper boy. If he behaves, she's going to take him to the concert of the famous Panarevsky, who's a pianist, very famous pianist, right? He had an orchestra, she was going to take him. So he did all of his homework on time and he did everything and he cleaned up after his toys. And finally the day comes and she takes him to the concert. At the concert, when they're waiting for everyone to be seated, all of a sudden the mother sees that her son's missing. Everyone's being seated. Panarevsky is about to come out. She's looking around. He's gone. He's not, he's not there. All of a sudden, the curtain opens up. She looks up and she sees her like five, six-year-old son walking on the stage. An embarrassing moment. Because like these, these things, it's, a, it's not a concert like... It's a, it's a piano concert. Classy people that eat rare steak. Those kind of people <laughs> go to these kind of events. So she's embarrassed. She doesn't know what to do, how to react. She doesn't want people to know that she's the mom. They're going to be like, what are you doing? You love your son. And he's walking over to the piano. And she's like, oh my God, what do I do? He sits on the seat of the piano and he starts playing a tune. What does, she, what does he play? He starts playing tinkle, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Right? Dun, 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 dun. But like two fingers. Dun, 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 dun. Dang, dang. And she's going, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to come out. What are we going to do? Panarevsky comes out. Everyone gets up and starts clapping. And he just gets everyone to sit down. He walks quietly behind the little boy, puts his hands from behind him onto the piano. In his ear, he says, keep on playing. I'm right here. Keep going. And he starts to do a harmony with his twinkle, twinkle, little star. And it becomes this magnificent harmonious thing that he makes a little five, six, seven-year-old boys twinkle, twinkle, little star into like an orchestra. And the rest of the orchestra starts, starts playing and people, starts giving, people get up and start giving the little boy a standing ovation. Or Vichel Sparrow says beautifully in his story, he says that little boy is every, every one of us. We come into this world, we don't know what we're doing. We think we're pianists. But we're a six-year-old going on a piano going dang, 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 dang. We're clueless. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is right behind us all the time saying, keep on playing. I'm right here behind you. It is only with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help that we could play the tune that we're really meant to play. Without Him, we're just playing with two little fingers. Every success we have in a spiritual and physical world is only through His help. Him behind us, sitting there saying, keep playing, I'm right here. Baruch Adonai le'olam, amen ve'amen.